talking and I'm not and I'm just <laughs> And then I'm talking <laughs> No, but wait, wait, I have something for him. Boom, you get shot down. Now you're just fucking me, aren't you? <laughs> I'm just wondering why all these people like kids. The Weird History and Eerie Tales Podcast. Concentrate on the that's what we do. Wow. <laughs> FYI, there's nothing wrong. And welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Weird History It Tells podcast. I am your host, Moses Sorry, and sitting in front of me is my brother, Josh. What do you do, baby? And today, we're going to have a mini episode. Uh, since Anchi's not here, you know, happy holidays. Hopefully, hopefully, all you guys had a wonderful Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. or at least a wonderful feast. And, um, you know, so we took a break during the holiday during the holiday, you know, because everyone's busy, Archie's finally needed a break from school, you know, so with, so I didn't want to leave you guys too long without an episode, so, we're, so I said, fuck it, let's do a mini episode, and we're going to continue the satanic theme that we had on our previous episode, but this time we're going to be talking about historical figures that sold their soul and had their dance with the devil. <laughs> So who has a thought to make a deal with the devil? You know, we all have. Even if it was for a split second. And you are lying to not only me, but to yourself. If you've never been in a drive-thru trying to see if your $7 in your bank account are enough for that full meal. When the thought of selling your soul for that bacon cheeseburger leaf lettuce combo with the large strawberry fanta and chili cheese fries on the side popped into your mind. My gosh, man. We've Are you all, that broke? We all you could have just there. sent me a text. I would have sent you an extra five. We've all been there. Bro. Oh, my gosh. We've no. We've all been there. We've all been there. Whether it's not that exact same scenario, but we've all been there. If like, I'm broke, I'm not risking going online. And, not, but you have $7, you're like. Should I get those two double cheeseburgers? I'm going to heat up a fucking cup of noodles, make myself a ham sandwich. Well, that's why you are weird. Says the guy who's going okay. <laughs> to right. try to sell, 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 the sell for a fucking burger. All right, cool. You know, so let's talk about, you know, so let's talk about that. <laughs> Historical figures who allegedly sold their souls or had their dance with the devil with the devil. You know what I mean? So up first, let's talk about the holy warriors, starting with. Urbane Grandier. Holy word. So this French Catholic priest. What? (laughs) What? This French Catholic priest was burned at the stake in 1634 after his contract with the devil was actually found. Oh, it was on paper. It was on paper. Documented. See, that devil ain't stupid. (laughs) <laughs> he had it written down. He had yep, it. we got to write this shit real quick. So even though he had taken the oath of the Catholic priest, he was still out here blowing backs out. And he sent... Not only that. <laughs> wait, I was like, wait, what? So he was, he was a priest, but he was having sex with all these women. And not only that, but he sent a demon called Asmodea to commit sexual acts... On a group of nuns. Okay. He's a man of God. Who slays. Yes. A ton of pussy. Yes. And he sent a demon. As Medea. 
as Medea to commit sexual acts on not just a nun, a, a group. group of nuns. It was actually a whole nunnery. He sent it to and they like, had no idea. They, yeah, yeah, they did. So they were part of this too. They're, they're part of this too. No, right. no, that's some no, kinky no, no. Shit. They had no idea. They weren't for it. He, they were just victims of of okay, of uh, freaky yeah. Urbane. Right? Okay. So Urbane was part of these possession trials, which were honestly one of the wild, wildest episodes of demonic possessions in 17th century France. So it was alleged that Urbane. A parish priest made a pact with the devil. And this claim was made by a group of nuns that claimed they had been sexually assaulted by him, the devil, and a demon. So they claimed this was happening to them because of a few symptoms they were having. They were having fits, they were having convulsions, and they were speaking in tongues. So it took years of exorcisms, exorcisms in which the nuns barked, screamed obscenities. <laughs> they screamed obscenities and obscenely contorted themselves. Oh, they were just. That's some exorcism shit right there. Okay. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And as the curiosity behind these exorcisms grew. The nuns and this whole ordeal actually became a huge tourist attraction because it took years for the nuns to be exor to be exercised, right? So it became such a big deal that people were like, "Hey, what are you doing this weekend? I don't know. You want to go see the nuns get exercised? All right." So much so that a few exorcisms were actually performed in public. They take a nun out out into the city square. Put her up on a pedestal, you know, next to the, you know, next to the little kid selling chiclets, and they started the exorcism right then and there. All right, ladies and gentlemen, before we start the exorcism, uh, make sure you get your popcorn and sodas ready. <laughs> uh, the show is about to begin. That's basically what happened. Damn. So, a few witches, would you sh like, if you were there, would you pop up a visit and and, and watch a live exorcism? Well, that was that was that was that was. How about right now? Right now? That was TV. Nah. Right now? There's someone. Nah. Advocating, I don't know, some some exorcism. You have a live exorcism. Would you go? Nah, nah. It's not your style. Nah, like I got YouTube. But, all right, fair you know what I mean? Fair enough. Fair enough. Back then there was no YouTube. You it know there was no years. Hold on, hold on. Let's backtrack. It took countless years. Five years? Five plus years? Uh, they don't say. They oh, just it, say it took years. It took years. years. All right, all right. Fuck years. Of constant exorcism. How tiring were these nuns? I don't think it was. I don't think it took. I think it was. It took all. It took years because they did one at a time. You know what I mean? Because sure, it's a big ass. I remember exorcisms can only be done by a specific priest. So I'm assuming. A, you know, a fucking priest. He would be like. You know, he was like, all right, I ain't doing overtime. I already did two. Let me go back to where the fuck I'm from. That's fucked up. And he fucked off, and it took like what four months for another one to get here. You know what I mean? So there's right. a lot of that. I'm assuming. Okay. But yeah, right. but it took years. Damn. So a few witches were tortured and burnt at the stake in 1634, with Urbane being amongst them. But there are rumors and accounts of conspiracy regarding this whole trial. For one, a lot of these confessions came 
rather quickly after a couple minutes of torture. Right? So a lot of people confessed. Did you see this? Yes, I did. And all these confessions that blamed uh, Urbane and, you know, and all these witches, they came from torture. None of them were flat out right, just said it. They're like, hey, did you see Urbane do something? No, I didn't do something. You sure? Yeah, for real. I didn't. He wasn't doing anything. All right, well, come with me. And they took him. Take him in the back, punch him in the dick. And, oh, he did it. Oh. Yeah, exactly. That's okay. all the conventions came from. Game from, punching dick. Yeah, from there. Nice. Right? And second, some say that the accusations were just part of a conspiracy just to get rid of Urbane, who the church considered to be an, an embarrassment. Mm. Why was he such an embarrassment? Because this guy was so good looking that he had all this ass being thrown at him and he could not resist. So he was so good looking, you know, that the pre the the, the church is like, yo, this dude is fucking all these yo, women and he's making it, yeah, bro, yeah, but you're a man of God. You, you son. Took, yeah, like you took the oath, bro. Like <laughs> what are you what are you doing out here? You gotta resist that ass. You know, and Can't resist. this conspiracy went so far. They're saying that the nuns were faking the whole thing. Damn. So they were in this this is a long con if this took years. That's a lot of commitment. It wasn't like a, a constant thing. It was probably like I mean back then you could be he, he's a witch and then pff, dead. But he's a man of God too though. You know what yeah. I mean? Like he yeah. was a he was the he was a So they gotta catch that motherfucker slipping, huh? Yeah, he was a parish priest. So he was like the priest that was doing the Sunday masses. He was everybody's you know what I mean? Yeah, he was putting in the work. He was doing overtime. <laughs> he was doing overtime, overtime bro. bro. He was speaking the word of God and making these women see God. Mm -hmm. So here's a small excerpt of why this trial was such an important thing that happened in history and why it had an echo effect moving forward. Okay. What does it say? In any case, the urbane possessions aroused suspicions about the value of eyewitness testimony and the authenticity of intense spiritual visions. For philosophers, the possessions marked a key episode in the transition from a, from a medieval mindset to the age of enlightenment. In a period marked by social unrest, plague, war, and dislocated populations, religious traditions of mystic experience were confronted by an emergent scientific worldview. In this new order of things, institutions sought to interpret and contain diabolical speech, but testified to social ineptitude, even as it was suppressed and erased. From a Cartesian point of view, such episodes of possession suggest ambiguous relations between the spiritual soul and the sensual body and contribute to skepticism about perception and the power of the imagination. Fucking name. So now let's talk about Theophilus. Who? Theophilus. The fuck did you just call me? Of Adana. So St. Theophilus was an Orthodox cleric in the 6th century. And he made a deal with the devil to gain a higher position in the church. That seems kind of... That's weird. Right? The church... Supposedly is the enemy of the devil. Yeah. So this dude's like, basically went to the devil. Hey, do me a favor. 
Let me get a higher position in the church so I can take you out. Because basically that's the church's goal, right? To, to get rid of the devil. Yeah, yeah. But this priest went to the devil to be like, hey, do me a favor. And let me get higher up in the ladder. Yeah, yeah. Do you think, because, <laughs> I mean, look, man of God, right? You'll be like, you know what? I'm going to talk to my boy real quick, right? And present time, there's this reel or TikTok where, where it's, it's all fucking serious. It's like, I asked God for, uh, for wisdom, and he gave me problems to solve. I asked God for courage, and he gave me fears to overcome, right? In, in, in other words, saying you got to earn your shit, right? You ask me for something, I'm going to give it to you in a, in a way where you got to earn it, it's right? And he was like, ah, I'm not taking that around. I'm going to talk to the other boy, it's like devil that, himself. It's like that one old... Do you think that? Maybe you that was the issue, right? God's like, all right, you want to climb? All right, I'm gonna give you some, some challenges to overcome, to like, bring you to, to to earn that right. It's like that old saying: you give a man a fish, you feed him for a day, but you teach him how to fish, you feed him for the rest of his life. Yeah. That's kind of like the kind pretty of much, pretty much. You know, it's yeah. kind of like the God was trying to yeah, teach yeah. you. He, yeah, he tried to teach him how to how to fish. He's like, yeah, I want to fish for the day. But, I'm, but, but imagine every time you ask someone, ask your dad for a favor, he makes you go on this fucking journey for it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, hey, Dad, let me borrow $20. You, you want $20? You got to go do this. You got to you know, go, go go earn a job. You're like, motherfucker, I'm just asking for a favor. Bro, I'm just asking for a favor. Dad, I'm 12. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But, I think that's how it went down. I don't know. But it's just me. But who knows? <laughs> he took the easy way out. He was like, fuck it. He was tired of asking God for favors. So like, you know what? I'm just going to go. I'm, 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 I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. And he did. Yeah. So... <laughs> So the story goes that Theophilus was the arch was archdeacon in Adana, which is now modern day Turkey. He was basically the MVP of his, you know, of his area and was unanimously elected to be a bishop. Damn. Which he turned down. Because Theophilus was humble. He was like, no, I'm not better than you guys. I'm the same as you. I thank you for choosing me. He was basically Jon Snow. He's like, no, 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 I'm good. You're the king of the north. Yeah, but he, but he, they actually listened to him. He's like, I, I don't want to do it. Like, All right, so they chose somebody else. Damn, right? You know, he got mad. You know, he's like, fuck. Well, yeah, he, Theophilus got mad because it bit him in the ass. Mm. Why? Because the bro that became the archbishop, the bro, okay, told Theophilus to go kick rocks, and he removed him from being archbishop. He's, he told him fuck off. Tell him fuck off. He's like fuck off. Yeah, because he was because he this new this new um yeah that dude was the new bishop. He, he was, was intimidated by yeah. He was like, all right, you were the first chosen. You decided no. What if later on you want you you want to take it? Like you say yes, are they gonna take it away from me? Take this motherfucker yeah. out. <laughs> take this fool out. Boot that motherfucker. Boot from the party, bro. So Theophilus, he kicked himself in the head for being so humble. So he's like fuck this, and he looked for. And he found a wizard that could help him make a pact with the devil. He found Gandalf or what? So in exchange for receiving the position as bishop, Theophilus had to give up his soul. As well, he had to renounce Christ and the Virgin Mary. Christ and the Virgin Mary in a contract signed with his own blood pretty that's metal as fuck and i love it so what happened signed the contract 
bam, Theophilus became bishop. So years passed, and getting ever closer to kicking the bucket, Theophilus began fearing for his soul. Shit, I'm not getting any younger. Damn, it's probably you know, it's, you know as soon as my time to pay up for my end but of the that deal. Was fucking background, the bur- like the Birdman, yeah, yeah, Birdman yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. So he repented. He, he repented. He repented and prayed to the Virgin Mary for forgiveness. According to legend, after praying and fasting for forty days, the Virgin Mary appeared to him, and she chewed him though fuck out she's like you dumb motherfucker what were you thinking you know doing a bunch of shit la, 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 la. whether this was real or hallucination because if he hadn't eaten and taken it for 40 days it's still to be determined so he begged for forgiveness and the very and the virgin mary said you know what all right i'll talk to my baby daddy you know and i'll see what's up she's like, i'll talk to god i'll put in a card for you You know, we'll see what's up. So it took another 30 days of Theophilus fasting for another 30 days for him to get word for the still alive. I guess he fasted for 40 days. Virgin Mary showed up while she was talking. I guess he must have ate something. The moment you tacos real quick. (laughs) And then she's like, all right, I'll come back to you. All right. So BRB. So 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 while that BRB. Before she came back, he fasted again. And it took 30 days for her to come back. Virgin Mary, after 30 days, she's like, look, you know what? Baby daddy said we're good. So we're square. No hard feelings. You're forgiven. She's like, all right. Thank you. However, Satan said that he didn't give a fuck who forgave him. Didn't give a fuck. Yeah, yeah. I was like, okay. Yeah, God forgave him and shit, but... um. You signed a fucking contract. You think that was going to be, oh, shit, all's forgiven? All right, cool. Nah, okay, okay, carry on, carry on, carry on. <laughs> that was like, I don't give a fuck who forgave you. I don't give a fuck. That would have changed the fact. Say another word, motherfucker. All right, yeah. He yeah. didn't give a fuck. And then that didn't change the fact that he still had Theophilus under contract. Well, something happened. Because three days later, Theophilus woke up with the contract on his chest. Which he then took to the legitimate bishop and confessed everything. The bishop then burned the document right in front of him. And Theophilus immediately died right after. Some say he died because the weight of his sins were free. He was free of his sins and he was able to finally be at peace. But there are different variations of Theophilus's of the tale of Theophilus. Of his death. So some say that his motivation for pursuing the deal was just because he was jealous. Right? Some other variations is that the magician is specifically referred to as a Jew. Which uh, kind of introduces, you know, a little anti-Semitism into the story. But one of the craziest and funniest things about one of the variations of the Theophilus tale is that after God forgave him, it took three days for the contract to appear on his chest, right? Well, there's a variation. You know how God forgave him and he's like, all right, cool. 
And then, you could. Yeah. And then the guy was like, I don't give a fuck. But three days later, Theophilus woke up with the contract on his chest. Mm-hmm. There's a reason for it. And one of these variations is that the Virgin Mary actually went to go speak to the devil. And she slapped him around for the contract. Virgin Mary herself. Yeah, she slapped him around. The devil. She slapped the devil. All right, here, just take your shit. Just take your shit. And she gave him a sh- the devil gave up the contract to the Virgin Mary. You're telling me the devil got punked by the Virgin Mary. You know, what are you going to do if the if God's baby mama's on? You know, he's like, I don't want none of this drama. This is your guys' drama. You just get, just keep me the fuck out. Here, just take his shit. He ain't worth it. He's old anyways. His secretary's like, sure, uh, the Virgin Mary here. Who? <laughs> Who the fuck? Oh, that's when she bursts in. <laughs> Oh, okay. Damn. Okay, he got punked. Yeah. So the funny allegedly, thing is, allegedly, yeah. that's the fun. So you know, that's how Theoph- Theophilus died. So let's talk about a musician. Right. Five years ago, when we first covered Satan, we talked about Tartini, the violinist who dreamt the devil came to him in his sleep to ask for services. Who then proceeded to fucking kick Tartini in the balls with a masterful mini concierto that took Tartini's dream breath away. Tartini woke up and he immediately wrote down what he remembered. And it became his most popular piece of music. The Devil's Trail Sonata. Well today we have another violinist. Named Niccolo Paganini, whose big dick energy was so grandiose that fans claimed he was the devil. That's how good he was. They thought he was the devil, and others said that he was the son of the devil. So Niccolo, he, you know, he picked up the mandolin at the age of five and was composing music by the age of seven. Okay. <laughs> okay. Humble brag for him, huh? You know, and like any other teenager in the 18th century, he became an absolute alcoholic. And by the age of 22, he was a fucking rock star. Two years later, he composed music so difficult that it was years before another musician was able to play it. His most famous piece, called The Witch's Dance, was the reason why many loved and feared him. Many thought that Niccolo made a deal with the devil to become the greatest musician of all time. Because his skill was literally unmatched. That not only could he do things that are still, to this day, considered impossible... But he once won a rare, very valuable Stradivarius violin by playing a piece so technical that it was said to be unplayable without extensive preparations. Like, this is the music. No one's able to play it without years of practice. And even then, the greatest of the great can't even touch it. Can't even get to play it correctly. Motherfucker played it on sight. On sight. On sight. He didn't even practice for it. He's like, what is it? All right, let me see. All right, cool. And he's just ready. He's like, bet. 
Hold my beer. <sighs> Bro, on sight. So many claim that he could see a demonic figure just off stage guiding his boat. Guiding? So the demon was controlling his hands. So the demon was able so to. So the demon was behind him holding no, no, on the, so to, tightly? To the side. No, no, no. Oh. <laughs> hey, <laughs> this just off this stage. is how you play. All in the hips. It's all in the hips. Damn. Shit got so out of hand that he had to. This is in real life. He had to publish letters from his mother to prove that he had human parents. People thought he was inhuman. People thought he was a demon. He was an alien. He this guy's so good. He must uh, not be human. They literally like, all right, well, let me see your birth certificate, motherfucker. Even after death. The rumors of him being the devil followed him, as no church would give him a proper Catholic burial. Oh, that's fucked up. Like, we ain't gonna bury this demon. Like, we know what the right. fuck you're trying to do. Right. Hypothetically speaking, let's say he never sold his soul or whatever. He just—he was that good. He was that much of a you know man of God, and no proper burial for him. Huh? Well, he, he eventually was buried. But his, yeah, but his family had to make a former appeal to the church in order to give him a proper burial. Mm -hmm. Like, look, he's not the devil. He was, you know, he's just the shit. I don't blame my son because he's too good. This because y'all motherfuckers are whack. That's how good he was, bro. You know he felt good when he played that show on site. Fuck yeah, he did. Niccolo hits the groove immediately. He couldn't instantly. He was he he was born with more like level one hundred dick. He couldn't grow any bigger. <laughs> one hundred max stats or what? Max stats, bro. If he was if he was fucking, he had gold attachments already. It was just GG, from the get go. So Niccolo was so above the head and shoulders of his peers. That rumors circulated that he had to have sold his soul to be as good as he was. But his flexibility and freakishly long fingers have many believing that he may have been suffering a rare type of syndrome that results in elongated fingers and other unique things that happen to the hand. He was Kawhi before Kawhi? Not even that, but he was able to stretch his fingers out like extensively his fingers were so he was able to do shit that no one else could do that's it was stupid so he was able so he was able to hit notes that no one no one else is able to hit but to me the devil angle is still the coolest part of the whole thing like nah fuck that you know it's, it's better if he was like the son of the devil he was just rocking yeah. out and there's actually a movie on his fucking on um tartini that um, I'm gonna post a clip of his final concierto or whatever. Yeah. When he was, when I tell you he was a rock star, bro, you you'd swear he was he was the he was the Beatles before the Beatles. Imagine that kind of fanfare when people when girls are freaking out, people are like, oh shit, people are like passing out, but everyone's in like suits and like old school Victorian dresses, and he comes out looking like a fucking vampire. He's just rocking. He's just he's just shredding, shredding on the bike. He's violin. fucking shredding, bro. There's like in the movie, like because like it, it said like he was he was a rock star. People would like drop. They were like, oh my god. He was everywhere he walked. People worshipped his fucking 
where we walk. So, so, so in the movie where he's where he's like he's walking like he's walk because like I like I get I haven't seen the the movie, but the scene that I'm gonna post on our Instagram, Weird History, he tells Pod, is he shows up from the back of the of of the theater, mm. right? He's not on stage. I guess he I guess he's stand. They're like, oh, maybe I'll show up. Maybe I won't. So, so the, the crowd is staring at the band, the, the people in the front, like the, the orchestra, and they're like, uh, and then he starts playing from the back, and people turn around, and like he saves the orchestra's ass or whatever. So he's like going to the, he's walking to the crowd, and the girls are fucking, they're fucking falling over. They're all fanning themselves. They're all trying to touch him. They're touching, they're tugging on his coat, touching his fucking violin, <laughs> tugging on his dick. So he's just doing it, bro. The look on everyone on the orchestra's faces, because like they're following his lead, right? They don't know what the fuck he's playing. So he goes on stage and he's fucking playing and you can see they're all mad as fuck. They're like, what the fuck is he doing? They're just look, looking at him like, oh, what the fuck? They're all like stressing out. They're like, oh, fuck. And this was just playing, just being a rock star, just going from stage to stage. Everyone's freaking the fuck out. It's just fucking hilarious, but it's fucking cool. Yeah, but Dev Angle is still the coolest. So all hail to the greatest violinist to have ever lived. So before we end this episode, I have one more. He's last, but he's definitely not least. What I'm talking about. Is, is, <laughs> a guitarist? No. Oh, no, no. I was I wasn't gonna go for another musician, but I'm like, you know what? This one's cool. And I wanna introduce because we have, we've we've you know we've been gotten, we've been getting an influx of new listeners. So I wanna, you know. Steer people back a few eighty-something episodes back to what? The next guy I'm talking about is gonna be no fucking vampire. Close. I'm, I'm talking about Gilda Ray. That's another motherfucker who sold his soul uh, to the devil. Yeah. Still not over, huh? So, oh fuck, bro. <laughs> yes, I'm talking about the piece of shit Gilda Ray. So, for those of you that have jumped aboard in the last couple of years. Let me remind you that if you have not listened to our five-part series on Gilda Ray, yes, I know it seems kind of long, but it's worth it. I promise you. All 17 people who have listened to it all agree. Right? So go back and listen to episode 40 and buckle the fuck in because holy fuck is his life a fucking roller coaster. Yep. Yep. But to keep it short, Gilda Ray was a 15th century aristocrat. Born into a wealthy family who was left with untold amounts of wealth and power when his parents died while he was still a child. Left under the care of his piece of shit grandfather, Gil DeRay eventually spent all of his inheritance after a successful and impressive stint in the army where he fought along Joan of fucking Arc as the French army's general. But after losing her and losing all of his monies, he desperately tried to recoup his losses by hilariously hiring mages and wizards and alchemists in search of the Philosopher's Stone. That episode is hilarious. How random people are like, you know what, he's paying for it. He's, you know, he's trying to get people to turn... And then the fool's about fucking yeah, yeah. Revolving door of assholes coming in and out of his castle. So, he was in search of the Philosopher's Stone before he met Antonio Francisco Perlati. 
the gorgeous satanic priest who assured Gilderay that he will regain his wealth if he sacrificed the children to the demon named Baron. After he made the deal, Gil ended up falling in love with the morbid, macabre acts of murder and rape and went on a ridiculous violent spree where he is rumored to have killed over 200 children. Eventually, his eyes became bigger than his appetite, and he was later caught, tried, and found guilty for his countless crimes, and was executed in 1440. To this, <laughs> to this day, bro, that's still one of, from beginning to end, his whole life is a ridiculous roller coaster. There you go. You gave his uh, historia a crash course edition of who Kilty Ray was. That's what it was. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, but like the it's the details. Yeah, the fucking that's what makes it. And if just a quick, you know, there's five episodes. <clears throat> Each episode is a little over an hour long. The first one deals with his childhood. So with John, the only time he paid any serious attention to Gills was during you know his aforementioned insistence that Duray trained to become a skilled knight. He watched Gil spend hours learning the subtleties of sword fighting, jousting, and hand-to-hand combat. While the martial games of young lords, you know, during that era, they were always pretty dangerous, Duray always mismatched his opponent. He enjoyed being the most savage and the most victorious. He reveled in attracting attention and would take any challenge. On one occasion, fighting with swords and daggers, Gil stuck an opponent with such force that he killed the boy right then and there. Duray, you know, he had not intended to kill the boy. He really didn't. But he showed little remorse after doing so. But in a surprising contrast to the behavior of his childhood, Gil DeRay was also an enthusiastic young scholar and, you know, he loved learning. At his father's request, he read and recited Latin and Greek by the time he was seven. As he got older, he showed an interest in science, art, music, theater, literature, and gemology, which is the science of dealing with gemstone materials like emeralds and rubies. And he also developed a fine taste for expensive furniture and fabrics. DeRay being not only brought up learning the art of waging war, but also appreciating the literature of the elite at the time. He mastered both in his youth. As an adult, he excelled in fighting and proved to be a remarkable intellectual who enjoyed commissioning musical compositions, collecting art, assembling an impressive library, and staging grandiose theatrical events. His grandfather, on the, on the other hand, did not give a single fuck about any of these things. He thought only about getting richer, and he married Giloff at the age of 13 to a four-year-old Norman orphan. Mm-hmm. Second one deals with his um, with his adulthood and with the army. So this battle is important in the story of Gilderay, if only solely to demonstrate his unselfish and willingness to throw himself in harm's way for shown of art. Unselfishness a rare trait that is chronicled and attributed to a future brutal psychopath. 24-year-old Gil de Rey is mentioned twice at the Battle of Orleans. He is commended for bringing needed reinforcements to Joanne at Augustine's, and after pulling her to safety when she was seriously injured during the fight, he went on to fiercely attack the English. But then the impossible occurred for the French at Tourlaise, the stone tower at the far end of Orleans. This stone, this stone tower was well commanded by the English knight Glasdale 
and thought to be impenetrable with over 500 men. Nevertheless, the French began a direct frontal attack. They gained ground and Joan accompanied the army as it moved forward. She sprang off her black charger, placing the first scaling ladder against the wall, but as she uncannily foretold, she was badly wounded, attempted to mount one of the ladders. She was struck with a bolt from an English crossbow with such force between her shoulder and neck that it pierced her armor, projecting almost six inches behind her neck. So she had a protruding arrow coming in from her shoulder, coming out from the back of her neck. And DeRay, he saw the whole thing, and he rushed to help her. He carried her to safety to dress, you know, to help her dress this deep gash, where she pulled out the arrow herself, crying in pain. Dude, fuck that. I could barely take out a splinter without me fucking wincing in pain. Imagine a whole arrow. And imagine not even knowing the repercussions of that, like, are you gonna you 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 gonna bleed out? You gonna bleed out? Bleed, bleed out. So the witch is dead. The witch is dead. That's all you heard from the stupid from the superstitious English. Like all medieval Catholics, the goddamns considered a woman leading an army of men to be a conjurer of Satan. So seeing her injured, overjoyed the English as they all began to sing and dance. Hearing the English's cheer and seeing Joan fall made the French lose their spirit. The French commander prepared to break off the tide of battle as the English were able to fight off the demoralized French. Just then, Joan recovered as the saints appeared to her and gave her the strength to overcome her weakness. The sight of their leader spurred the French and once again her troops rallied and the assault was renewed. During this new surge of faith in their new leader, the town folk sent out their own surprise to the goddams as they cut loose a loaded barge, which is basically a small boat, with flammable, materi- with flammable materials, which they ignited. Slowly but stealthily, the burning barge drifted under the wooden drawbridge. The burning barge went unnoticed until smoke began to rise beneath them. As they attempted to cross back over the bridge to retreat, they finally smelled the smoke and heard the crackling fire. Damaged by the weight of the men as well as the heat of fire, the blazing structure fell apart. 300 goddams, including their leader Glasdale, ended up falling into the bottom of the river, all drowning because of the heavy armor. Dude, that's the worst way to go, drowning. Imagine the, pa- the panic of you in of trying to take off the armor. I'm pretty sure you're trying to take off the armor as fast as you can. And you can't. And you can't. That's dude. horrible. Hell Fuck. I wonder how hard it is to take armor. Or how, how hard it is to put it on. Obviously hard enough for 300 soldiers <laughs> weighing who couldn't do it. So the 200 men who managed to cross the bridge, they all surrendered as the tower was surrounded. The next day, the English who held the remaining towers assembled in battle formation outside the town. Eager for another fight, French forces quickly gathered and faced the goddams. But Joan forbade any combat since it was Sunday, the day of worship. The two armies, they eyed each other for a few hours until the English turned away from the French and said fuck it and just marched off. The siege of Orleans was finally over. Overwhelmed with joy, Joan led her astonished soldiers and elated citizens of Orleans in a solemn prayer around the city walls. Kneeling, they all gave thanks to God for his deliverance of the town. Bells rang throughout the city, trumpets sounded and reveled all night. In less than a week, Joan of Arc at 17 years old, 
carried off one of the most decisive battles of the world and remapped French destiny. The third one deals with um, the alchemy and the mages. The austere, mysterious fortification built on the side of an old castrum, a Gallo-Roman fortress sat 50 miles from Nantes. There, in the valley of the Crom River, Doray established a laboratory for alchemic experiments in one of the distant wings of his impregnable castle. It contained the most current medieval apparatuses and paraphernalia. Unaware of Duray's intent to produce gold, the locals spent their long days in the fields and mills owned by Duray. The ramshackle huts were blackened with soot, the furnishings consisting mainly of lice-written straw, always sleeping on pallets with rats incessantly gnawing on their roofs. During the summer, these peasants tried to relieve the monotony by adorning their homes with bright yellow and purple flowers from the very poisonous henbane plant. Gales lived an existence far removed from these workers, especially in the warm months. Throughout the year, as he bathed in solitary luxury, he always was dreaming of gold. Some days, as he fell into his black depression, Totally exhausted on those occasions after having uncontrollable thoughts about Joan of Arc, he directed that all castle windows be covered. Finally, after recovering from his deep despondency, he would order fiery torches to be lit throughout the high vaulted rooms. Only then did the great Lord DeRay descend from his stone chamber. He strolled down the winding staircases and narrow corridors into his laboratory so that he could carefully inspect his steaming furnaces his bubbly vessels of distillation, his retorts. To operate this laboratory effectively, the marshal sent his trusted friend, Gilles de Sale, another distant relative, to seek out individuals who understood the science involved in producing gold. Word spread and men and women from all over France, Italy and Germany knew of a very rich nobleman's interest in obtaining alchemic results no matter how they were achieved. Magicians and charlatans, rather than true alchemists, scrambled to find their way to his lordship. The fourth one episode deals with all the satanic rape and murder. Yeah, that one's that one's pretty graphic. That yeah, that one's we put in a, you know we put a warning in the beginning of the episode because it gets he hang he he hangs children, little boys from like the chandeliers, as and, and he watches them squirm and he cuts their throat. He opens their belly and like fucks the wound. It's just warning for episode four. DeRay, Corilou, Brickville, Gildasil, and Perlotti. They would all mess with the little kid. They would make him do a bunch of shit. They'd make him bend over, do a bunch of shit. They'd fondle him, they'd touch him, whatever. And then yeah. finally, they'd just go for the kill. They didn't even go for the kill. They'd grab him up. Most of the time, they would just put him on a hook. 
So basically, the way or there's some pictures are uh, that they would describe it was in the middle of his. So his bed was. This, this is how you know the dude's a psychopath. His DeRay's bed is in the middle of his room. It's not up against a wall. If you know somebody whose bed is dead in the middle of the room, Run they're away. fucking psychopaths, Run right? Away. So DeRay's bedroom was in the middle of his fucking room, and right at his bed, at the, at the feet of the bed, it'd either be a large hook or a rope. So, depending on the castle, depending if it's a Majakul or if it's Tifuge or you know or whatever one, they would grab. If it's the hook, they would just grab the little kid and just throw him on the hook. And while he's squirming, doing all these things, they would go ahead and then start choking him so he couldn't scream, he couldn't yeah. do anything. Yeah. DeRay would then take him off the hook. And like I mentioned, he would cradle him to him, no, it's going to be okay. The little kid looked at DeRay saying like, oh, what the fuck? The little kid's in shock. He's four or five years old. He's looking at DeRay. DeRay's making him laugh, doing all this shit, and then he'd go in for the kill. So he'd kill the little kid, whether it's by cutting off their heads, cutting open their belly, Throwing him on the floor as soon as he would hook, he would do a bunch of shit. So after he would rape and brutalize and do sodomize all, after, after he would do all of this, DeRay would then just get up, go into the other side of the room, and change. He would get out, out of his bloody clothes. Yeah. He changed. And he would talk to everybody else in the room like nothing's happening. There's blood everywhere. Some, sometimes he would kill and rape two or three children at a time. And he would only change after he was done. So imagine. He's changing, talking about, oh, so what'd you do today? There's fucking four, three, four little kids dead on the floor. Everything's fucking, there's blood everywhere. Everyone's washing their dick and putting on pants and shit. And then he would go put on his fancy robe. And then he would decapitate all the heads, put them on a mantle. And then he would ask everyone individually, which one do you think is the prettiest one? And then they will all had their say. And then after they would tell him, he would grab the head, gently start combing the head, rubbing the cheeks, gently stroking the face, and he would go on to say, I embraced them, and I gave away to contemplating those who had the most beautiful heads and genitals. He would keep the genitals too? I mean, I wouldn't be surprised at this point. <laughs> DeRay would then turn to his group of monsters and ask them which head they thought was the most precious. After they all made their choices, he held these up and kissed their cold faces. He would often caress severed limbs while prancing around the room and referred to, and referred to his victims as his dear angels. Showering them with love, he would affectionately tell them, Go. Go pray to God for me. Gilderay, the former Marshal of France, once his nation's beacon of hope had now reached the deepest, darkest corners of hell imaginable, DeRay had now reached the abyss. And then episode 5 deals with the trial. That same day, at around 2 o'clock, DeRay detailed all his crimes in precise and lengthy statement to the bishop and Pierre in his living quarters. He admitted to the horrors of which he had been accused of. Totally overwhelmed and confused by DeRay's confession in Latin, Pierre kept pressing DeRay. He tried to understand where, why, and how DeRay could come up with such disgusting atrocities. DeRay 
St. Pierre's expression of disgust and disbelief now responded in French. DeRay claimed that he alone thought up of the acts purely for his own pleasure, for his own sick delights. Like both of his henchmen stated in their confession, DeRay told Pierre he believed he had been born under the curse of the blackest star, the curse of the black planet. DeRay believed it maliciously influenced him and made him commit these acts of devoid of morality that are beyond reason, in great pain, and in a voice that cut right through those present in his chambers, he admitted that no one in this world is capable of understanding my life's deed, no one on this earth is able to act as I did. Six prison attendants then escorted Perlotti into the room. As soon as DeRay saw Perlotti, he started to weep. After DeRay had controlled himself, the two gave the same account of the invocation made to the devil. They detailed the offering of the little baby's hand, eyes, and heart. At his hearing, Perlotti admitted to taking part in the offering, but insisted he had anything to do with the murder. Perlotti was then taken away. DeRay embraced his co-conspirator, his lover, and passionately kissed Perlotti in the mouth. DeRay bid Perlotti farewell and began to sob again. And I quote, Goodbye, Francis, my friend. Never again shall we see each other in this world, but I pray that God give you plenty of patience and understanding and be sure, provided you have plenty of patience and trust in God. We will meet again in the great joy of paradise. Pray to God for me, and I will pray for you. So if you guys want to go listen to it, I to me that's still one of my favorite. It's that one and I mean, the Bell Witch are my two favorite series that we've done. <clears throat> those yeah. long form series, those two are my favorite ones. So if you guys want to go check those out, but that Gil Ray one, it's just beginning and end, man. I don't know how, I don't know why he's not talked about more. Like when it comes to like all this macabre bullshit, he's he's, he's a name you do not hear a lot. What you know and. Um, we're gonna do, you know, it's been like three, four years since we covered Gilderay. Maybe four years since we touched on Gilderay. So, one of these, you know, so soon I want to do a rebuttal episode where... A rebuttal episode? Yeah, where they're talking, where they're talking about could Gilderay, could everything have been made up and just been, was he just a political victim of his mm. time? But, yeah, that's the end of this episode. You know, short mini episode. Uh, join us next week so that Aji gets here. So you have a full-blown episode with all three of us. You know, and like I said earlier in the episode, I didn't want to leave you guys without. I didn't want to leave you guys another week without us rambling and fucking talking shit. So um, I, I hope you guys enjoyed this mini episode. And I want to thank you guys, the people that tagged us for their Spotify end of the year you know playlist whatever we yeah. had people showing us that you know we're the le most listened to podcast we have people that are like yeah they listen they listen to all our ep they had like over a thousand minutes of listening to us in the year 2021 you know, you know, yeah i like had a few who who sent me that on my personal account i completely spaced on saying it to you guys 
So uh, shout out to um, to my dearest friends who listen to our podcast. Uh, we got the message. Yeah, so that, you know, so you know, we want to thank you guys, you know, for listening to us, giving us a chance, giving us a shot. We really appreciate it. Uh, thank you for everyone who's been rating and reviewing the show. You know, we're almost at a hundred reviews, which is fucking amazing. Before, you know, we it wasn't neck and neck, but it was like for every, it was like wow, we were only getting one or five star one or five star votes for the like the, I don't know the past year and a half, we just been getting nothing but five stars. So like the. So, you know, thank you guys. That means the fucking the world to us. And, you know, we have a few, you know, a few friend of mine, you know, that I've been that I've known for a while that didn't know. I had no idea that I, you know, that I did a podcast just because they don't follow me on social media. It's just friends, you know, that I just have. And they're all like, I'm like, yeah, I have a fucking I've been doing a podcast. I'm in a band. They're like, what the fuck? So, you know, they listen to, you know, they listen to us. And one of the things that I feel, you know, that I like was when they when people tell me and this friend specifically did, too. She's like. I don't, she's like, I feel like I'm in the conversation with you guys. She's like, the way you guys interact with each other, she's like, it feels like, it feels like I'm just chilling in my backyard talking with my friends and cousins, friends and cousins. And when everyone's just talking, I'm like, that's the exact vibe I wanted to go for. That's what we, yeah, that's, that's, what I, that, that's what we, that's what we wanted. For it to feel like a conversation, like, the, the, you know, those late night ridiculous conversations that you have with your friends, just midnight, everyone, you know, few you guys have been drinking and someone's like, just randomly ask, hey, do you believe in ghosts? Hey, and would you sell your soul to the devil? And just, and bam, and just, it just immediately starts. So, you know, thank you guys, you know, for rating. Thank you guys for listening. It really means the world to us. Thank you guys. 2021 has been a weird year, but it's been a fucking fun year. And let's see what we have going forward. Obviously, the, the end of the year is not here yet, but it's never too late to say thanks. So thank you guys. And if you have nothing else to add. Oh. We are the Weird History, Eerie Tales Pod.